Hi, everyone, and welcome to season four of the podcast. I'm super excited to be back and to announce that the podcast will now be called the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast to better reflect the subject matter. The first few episodes were recorded before the rebranding, so I still refer to it by its old raw fork name in those. Anyway, I had no idea when I started this podcast that it would evolve to this format, but I did know that I wanted to share people's stories. It has evolved from me reading my blog post out loud to interviewing non-traditional pharmacists, including herbalists. Season 4 will air every Friday, highlighting inspirational pharmacists that chose to fit out of the proverbial box and are working to build a new system of care focusing on natural and preventative medicine. Please enjoy the show. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Thanks so much for listening, rating, reviewing, and sharing. I really appreciate the support. Today, I have a real treat in store. There was so much wisdom dropped between the mantras and the exemplary life of the individual I interviewed that it was hard to choose just one quote for my social media feature. Dr. Richard E. Harris II, MD, PharmD, MBA, is a board-certified internal medicine physician and pharmacist. Dr. Harris attended the University of Texas at Austin for pharmacy school, then pursued medical education at the McGovern School of Medicine in Houston. Dr. Harris is a lifelong learner and completed his MBA at the University of Houston as well. Dr. Harris has a client-centric view focusing on building relationships and trust through a comprehensive lifestyle medicine system. He currently hosts the Strive for Great Health podcast, has several online wellness courses, and consults for several companies. He's an avid reader, weightlifter, video game enthusiast, and author in his spare time. Dr. Harris also enjoys sports, traveling, philanthropy, church, and keto donuts. So without further ado, let's welcome him to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I have a very special guest today. Um, He is a pharmacist turned lifestyle medicine doctor. So welcome to the show, Dr. Richard Harris. Thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Yes. So I can't wait to get into your story and your journey. So uh, why don't we start with where you grew up and what uh, drew you to the medical field, in particular pharmacy? Yeah, so I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. That's where I was born. And I lived there for nine years. And then we actually moved to Belgium. And I lived in Brussels, Belgium in the late 90s or late 80s, early 90s for two years. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me because it exposed me to so many different cultures and viewpoints and ways of thinking. And I engrossed myself in art and culture. And it was there that I started to mix my two different loves, which are people and science. I grew up reading books about whales and dolphins and sharks while people were reading Nancy Drew and Goosebumps and the Hardy Boys. So I was kind of that weird kid who knew everything about sharks and dinosaurs and not the latest, you know, social craze or whatever. And that kind of carried on. Once I got into high school, I had two courses that I really loved and that was anatomy and physics. And actually started my college career as a physics major. 
thought I wanted to do biomedical physics, thought I wanted to make prosthetics and medical devices, learned I love physics, hated math. High level <laughs> theoretical math is the worst because I was like, when am I ever going to use this? This is so conceptual that it's not practical. And I'm a very practical person. And then I switched into biochemistry, thought I wanted to do bench research, did bench research for two years on fetal alcohol syndrome, hated it. And at the time I had about 30 credits until I graduated and was freaking out because I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I worked in the Dean of the pharmacy school's lab. And he basically told me, come to pharmacy school. I think you make a great pharmacist. I said, okay, I had no idea what a pharmacist did. No idea what was pharmacy school entailed. I had no clue about pharmacy whatsoever. And within the first week of being in pharmacy school, I loved everything that I was learning, all the physiology. And I sat down with myself and asked myself that if I didn't go to medical school, would I be mad at myself? Because that was always kind of my childhood dream in the background. And the answer was yes. But I decided to finish pharmacy school because I'd never quit anything. Mm. And so I finished pharmacy school. By the time I was starting as a pharmacist at MD Anderson, I already knew I was accepted to medical school. So I worked for a year and then went to medical school. So that's my journey in a nutshell. It's kind of a crazy story because I had no clue what I wanted to do. And I just, through the grace of God, ended up where I was supposed to be. Wow. Amazing. I mean, somehow I think everyone has those decisions that are pivotal, but life always gives us opportunities to go back to where you're supposed to be. Um, so that's awesome. Um, seems like you're like a polymath. Uh, you're interested in all these different things and combining them and um, you weren't um, also too upset about like some people are upset, like, oh, I wasted my time doing this or that or getting this degree and now I'm going to get another degree. So it's amazing that you um, had the passion and the guts to just keep going for what you knew you wanted in your heart. Yeah, life is short, right? And I always lived in the mantra that I never wanted to look back with regret because when we're 60 or 70, who knows how long people are going to be living? 120, 130, 140. Imagine being 70 with regrets and then living another 70 years with those same regrets, right? And that was something that I really didn't want. And so I've always been very introspective, spent a lot of time in my own head and figuring out my true why. And based upon that, going after my goals and never letting something like age or any other reason deter me from my goals. And I had a lot of great role models. There was a woman in my pharmacy class who was 50 when she started. She wow. was in the military and she retired and she said, my goal was always to be a pharmacist. She started pharmacy school at 50. I had a guy in my medical school class who was 45. He had a successful business. He sold it because he said his dream was to always go to medical school. And so at 45, he started medical school. And these people were such inspirations for me in my life that age is nothing but a number. Always chase after your goals and don't be afraid to come up short. Like you said, there's no such thing as failure if you learn. And there's no such thing as wasted time if you learn knowledge because you never know how or when or who you can help with the knowledge that you've learned along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Those people do seem quite inspirational. And my coaches always say, you either win when you succeed, 
or you learn if you quote unquote fail, but there is no failure if you still learn the lesson. So you're either meant to keep learning until you get it right and you quote unquote win or you win right away. But either way, nothing is wasted. You are still getting some important um, outcome from whatever it is that you're doing. So which, uh, which med school did you go to and which pharmacy school, like when your family moved back to the States, where did you settle down? Yeah. So we went back to Cleveland, Ohio for a couple years. And then my dad got a job at Compaq and then we actually ended up in Houston, Texas. And Mm. so that's where I finished high school because I did high school here in Texas. I wanted to stay in Texas for college. And this is another interesting story. The college I went to, I never visited, didn't know anything about. (laughs) It just, I opened up the letter that I got in and said, this is where I'm supposed to go. Wow. My parents looked at me like I was crazy. They're like, you've never been to that school. You've never been to that city. Why do you want to go there? I said, I don't know. I have a feeling this is where I'm supposed to be. Again, Providence. And so I ended up at the University of Texas and Providence, UT at the time had the number two pharmacy school in the country. So I got an amazing pharmacy education. And then I went to medical school here in Houston at UT Houston, now called McGovern School of Medicine. And then I did my residency training down in Galveston at UTMB. So it sounds like you were really set on going to medical school when you were still in pharmacy school. Did you have um, an idea to be a medical doctor prior to pharmacy school or how did that idea sort of solidify and lead you to become one, a doctor? Yeah, it was a goal when I was a kid. When I got into medical school, I sent my parents the acceptance letter because, you know, they were super proud and they found a drawing I had done when I was three or four, really young. And on the drawing, it said, I want to become a doctor because I want to help people. I didn't remember I did this drawing. I vaguely remember wanting to be a doctor as a kid. I read Gifted Hands by um, Dr. Ben Carson, and he really exemplified that servant leadership in the book and why he was doing what he was doing to make outcomes better. And I thought that was really cool. Now, as I got to be a teenager, like most idiot teenagers, I was all, I was all over the place. And that dream kind of fell by the wayside. So once I got in pharmacy school, learning the things I was learning, that's when it really was ignited. Wow, amazing. So why do you think that is that, you know, you really want to help people and then you also have this introspective nature of that you are recognizing in yourself that has kind of led you to be aligned with your intuition and having the feeling that you're on the right path? Yeah, I think it was my grandparents and my grandparents didn't grow up with much. In fact, my grandfather used to pick cotton back in the day. And then he had a business where he would go around the neighborhood and pick up trash. That was his job. But, and he was so proud of that business. And financially, like I said, they didn't have much, but they were always so happy. And they were happy because they gave 
so much of themselves to other people. And I saw that growing up about how giving they were and the education that they imparted on me was always to forge ahead. Don't let life troubles get to you. And then also to help other people, especially those who are not as fortunate as you are. And I really internalized those lessons. And I remember in sixth grade, there was something called kids care. And this was when I was in Cleveland, Ohio. And every year they nominated someone who exemplified caring, who went out of their way to help somebody. And I'd actually won in fourth grade in my last year there, I was wearing the kids care t-shirt on the event that I won earlier. And I won that year again. Wow. And I think I was one of the first repeat winners of the award. Giving's always been part of my nature. I'll tell another story. Uh, my parents did very well for themselves. I grew up in the woodlands, which is a very nice community. Uh, very blessed and fortunate in that regard. My parents had just bought me a new pair of basketball shoes, Jordans. Very nice basketball shoes. <laughs> and one of my teammates wasn't as fortunate. And so I gave him my brand new shoes. And I walked home barefoot. And I came in the door barefoot and my parents like, where are your shoes? And I thought they were going to be livid because I just gave away a brand new pair of expensive shoes. And I told them the story and to reinforce the giving, they went out and they bought me two pairs of Jordans because they were so proud of the, the why and the reason that I gave away those shoes. And that's always been my mantra. You receive more, the more you give. And that's really been the thing that I focused on, especially now in my late thirties is how do I add value to people? How do I make sure this world's a better place? God forbid, if I died tomorrow, I want people to say Richard made a difference. That's it. And that's really what I do is every day I wake up saying, how can I just impact one person today? Wow. That's a beautiful mantra. Um, I think the other thing that we think about is when you wake up in the morning that you're looking forward to your day, that you're excited about what you're, you're going to be doing that day. And you're not just like dreading it. So when you know you're going to be making um, an impact and a difference and bringing meaning that gives you a meaning to keep living your life. And it gives you, um, like a satisfaction, right. And like a fulfillment that you are giving back and you're a positive force in this world. So when you feel like you're doing good, it makes your life seem important and valuable, gives you motivation to keep going. Absolutely. It does. It's actually proven that we are happier when we give than when we receive. It's been in every single society, every single religion. Before we even had the clinical data that shows this, it's been there. It's always been a mantra. And that's something that I found has been very rewarding in my both professional life and my personal life to just try and be a part of something that's bigger than myself. Yeah. And that's why community and serves such a big role in that and and having a family or some kind of community that you're part of that's bigger than your family 
Um, and religion plays that role too of creating like-minded people that believe the same thing and you can gather together um, and hold space for each other. Exactly. And that plays a large role in our health. If you look at social isolation, which unfortunately during the pandemic is one of the things that's increased dramatically, it's one of the worst things for our health. In fact, there's some evidence that shows it's worse for our health than smoking. Yeah. We need to be involved. We need a sense of purpose. We need community. Humans are very tribal species. Mm -hmm. It's not a, a luxury. It's a necessity to be in a group involved in a community, giving back. These things are very important for our overall health, both mental, physical, and spiritual. Absolutely. We can't forget that the World Health Organization has defined a long time ago that it is the merging of those three that makes up whole health. You can't just have physical health and um, not consider mental or spiritual health um, because one of them affects the other and it's a whole trifecta and a full picture. And I've also read that one of the shortcomings of the way our governments are and our societies are nowadays is because the communities are too large. And when the community grows to beyond 150 people, which would be like that tribe, right? Um, You no longer have a sense of um, your community being like your family and your relative and an extension of you. So you feel so removed to those people beyond your inner circle that you don't really care if your decisions impact those people outside negatively. And that's the problem. Right. And it makes it so it's easy. So they've done studies on this. The more removed you are from a person and a decision, the easier it is to make. For example, if I said to someone, hey, I there's a train speeding on a on a railway. And if you flip this switch, it saves everyone on the train, but it kills one person. Most people are not going to do that because it's, they're very close to that. But if you're in a remote situation where you say, Hey, um, you're not seeing that person. You don't know who they are. You just have to push a button. It becomes easier because you're further removed from that situation. And then it becomes a calculation. Oh, save a bunch to kill one. Yeah, that makes sense. And so that's what happens when we are further removed from groups of people when we're making these decisions. It's a lot easier to do that the more removed we are. And that's why it's so important for you to get plugged into a group. I have a Facebook group. A lot of people have Facebook groups. It's to, it's to create community. But even then, I say you need a group of people outside of the internet. You need a group that you hang out with, that you trust, that you mastermind with. And it's got to be the right group. A lot of times, a lot of people are in very negative groups. Mm. You, don't, you don't need that in your life. You need people who are positive, people who are speaking life into you, people who are telling you about new opportunities or new books to read or something interesting that they learned. And that will help you in your health, mentally, physically, and spiritually. Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of people, even if they have this internal compass that we mentioned before, that it's calling them to do something, they'll ignore it because their environment is not supportive of making that a reality. 
And usually it's because the environment themselves don't have the belief that um, their life can be improved. So therefore then they will just squash everybody else's dreams too and say, oh no, that's never going to happen. And, you know, like when you don't have a supportive environment, it's very difficult to uh, thrive and to believe in your internal compass. So when you surround yourself with people who are supportive and are on the same path or on a similar mindset, similar journey as you, then it's like you become sane, right? You're like, okay, I'm not crazy for having these thoughts and these feelings because these people around me are mirroring them and validating that this is okay. You know, I am allowed to have these and I'm allowed to act on these. Yeah. I love that you use the word mirroring because that's what happens. We have these things in our brain called mirror neurons and their literal job is to copy things that we see in our environment. This is how kids learn to walk. They mm. learn to walk by watching their parents walk. It's how they learn to talk. They learn a language passively. You don't need to teach a kid their first language. They just learn it by being around it. Their yeah. brains are sponges of information. Now, we still have our mirror neurons that are active. If I start smiling, the corners of your mouth go up. And that's because you want to be on the same wavelength as someone because it's a survival advantage. Again, tribal people. But if you are around people who are negative, guess what? Those same pathways will work in reverse and it will make you feel more negative. And then you can look at it more esoterically, the fact that we all have magnetic fields. Mm -hmm. We are living sources of energy. And so when you're around people, your magnetic field is interacting with their magnetic field. And if there is a disturbance in their field, your body will pick that up too. So not only is your brain picking it up with the mirror neurons, but because we can sense these magnetic fields, some people more strongly than others, mm -hmm. then you'll pick up on their energy as well. And a lot of people think this is all hooey. It's not. This is actual science. I mean, we are batteries in a sense, and we have magnetic Absolutely. fields. Everything around us has a magnetic field. And just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And these are things that you have to be aware of. How you interact with your environment is the most important aspect of your health. Yeah, this all goes back to physics, right? As we were talking about and um, the HeartMath Institute, I was just talking to somebody about it. It's doing great work showing how the heart has this electromagnetic field and how it's actually the center of our body and how it's informing the brain, which we always think, oh, we're such, you know, um, brain brainiacs like we operate based on our consciousness and our mental capacities um you know we can think consciously so that separates us from other animals but it's been shown that it's the heart that informs the rest of the nervous system and the nervous system informs the heart as well and um it has a connection to the brain and communication but the source of who we are and why we always say also kind of esoterically, but also culturally about loving of, from your heart and uh, having feelings in your heart and all of those things. Um, we've been saying them for ages, but now science is actually showing that that has a valid um, physiological evidence behind all of those things. And uh, I work with plants personally, uh, herbal medicine. So a lot of plants also have what's called energetics. So it's not just the phytochemicals um, that we're talking about in plant medicines, also their energy 
And a lot of that is also based on their polarities and the magnetic fields that they have. Yeah, absolutely. You can have water that's alkaline that you put into something like scalar energy or, you know, PEMF or something like that. And it actually changes the properties of the water and it enhances the healing properties in the water. Everything around us has a charge gradient and in humans, that gradient can get off very easily. Inflammation, certain medications, being sedentary, stress, it literally changes the electrical charge in our bodies. And if the charge isn't right, we can't move nutrients in our cells. Well, we can't move toxins out. That sounds like a recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. Can't get the stuff you need in, can't get the stuff you don't want out. I mean, that's almost bad in any situation you can think of. So I know this is, you know, so pretty esoteric, but this is actually real. This is actually science behind this. And there's really good information out there now about how you can protect yourself even at the cellular level through things like nutrition, through herbals, through techniques like PEMF or scalar energy. And all of that can help boost your health. And then it's relatively inexpensive. Yeah, absolutely. So I always say we want to optimize the foundation of health and utilize everything that's available and accessible to us, especially if it's little to no cost to incorporate these modalities to care for ourselves. And then that will give us more of a foundation and quote unquote fighting chance if there is some kind of um, external or environmental toxin or something going on um, like an internal or an external threat to um, that promotes disease. When we optimize our baseline and our foundation our body knows how to work around it and heal itself. Uh, so like mind and body work and meditation and all of those things are breath work. Those are very much free and available for everyone. And I just was talking to somebody on a previous episode about EMF signals and all the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and all the electromagnetic things that are in our environment that's happening more and more. And also I was talking to somebody else about uh, pH levels in the body and how each of them also function as kind of levers and the pH of one organ affects what's going to happen in the next organ down the line. And so that kind of has to do with the electromagnetic charge too. So if one system is operating on this and then the physiological may translate to, you know, how much H ions, how much hydrogen is being released and um, then when we are dealing with toxins, whether it's internal, what we're eating or putting into our body or what we're dealing with, you know, it just creates a system where our body is just not supported in maintaining its health. Right. It's all about balance, finding a way to put the body in balance. And this is something that from a marketing perspective, we've kind of failed at. And the reason I say that is because it's always boost this or increase this, you know, boost your immune system. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you just continually boost your immune system, that's a wonderful way to get autoimmune disease. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want a fully boosted immune system all the time. That's what allergies are. That's what mm -hmm. autoimmune disease is. You want a regulated and balanced immune system that's able to differentiate. Oh, this is a threat. Oh, this is not a threat oh, I need to, you know, come up now, or I need to back down. I need to attack a threat. I need to heal. Mm -hmm. And this is all a balancing act. And 
I think that we as providers need to do a better job of teaching people that life and the body is about putting these systems in balance and harmony and not the all or none that most Americans think something is like, oh, you know, vegetables are great. I'm only going to eat all cucumbers every single day. <laughs> like that, that's, uh, that's, that's not healthy for you. You can't just eat cucumbers and cucumbers only, or yeah. I'm just going to juice every single Right. And so we go on these pathways that we think are healthy, but end up causing more harm. The best thing you can do to be healthy is have a variety, you know, and it doesn't take much of a meditation practice to be healthy. It doesn't take much grounding. It doesn't take much sun exposure. It doesn't take much caring or sharing your thoughts and experiences with others to be healthy. It's just having that well-balanced and well-rounded plan. Yeah, absolutely. I think as a culture, we are kind of obsessed with um, like quick solutions and fads and like, okay, this is the new thing. And then five minutes later, it gets disproven. And then there's a new theory and all of these things. But we haven't really learned to compile a huge body of evidence that isn't of course, here it's recognized as clinical peer-reviewed journal studies and things like that, especially RCTs, but um, also like observational, whether it's published or not, you could see, you know, all these cultures around the world and observe patterns that are happening that result in more health overall versus less health. And so if we compile the large bodies that exist that are both tangible and published, then we could really draw some conclusions because one study that's saying something is really not enough to draw a conclusion. And that's why we keep on getting overturned um, and mixed signals. So I think when we find those common um, ground and the common points in the different theories, then that adds to the validity. So everybody agrees vegetables are good and a variety of vegetables are good. So, you know, okay, that's something I should be eating. Um, and then, you know, sugar, especially processed sugar is bad. So that's probably something I should be staying away from. And the people that are obsessed, especially um, with our obesity crisis of all these quick, you know, weight loss schemes. And it is all marketing, unfortunately, because every time somebody asks me, you know, what can I take? They want like, you know, a plan to take because it's more natural, but Unfortunately, it's much more multifaceted. You can't just take one plant and you're going to, you know, normalize all your metabolic issues that are going on. Right. And you can't expect the results from somebody else's body because you don't have their genetics. You're not in their environment. And also you don't know what else they're doing. Someone could say, oh yeah, I did this. Then it was the one thing because yeah. that one thing is salient. It's in their memory. They could be doing a whole bunch of other things, right? Too, uh -huh. but that's maybe they added them over time, or maybe that's not what was their top of mind awareness uh, in regards to why they got the results they got. And you're right, especially when it comes to something like obesity, which is a metabolic disease. Metabolism is very complex. And there are tons of factors, including hormones, sleep, stress, nutrients, tons of things that go into this. And it's like anything else. I tell people, listen, if you want to succeed, you need a plan and you need to have a comprehensive plan. And I liken it to starting a business. If you start a business and all you do is put up a website, 
your business is not going to go anywhere. There's a lot that goes into starting a business and managing a business, running a business. So it's the same thing when it comes to our health. We can't expect just one thing to be the solution to all of the issues going on, especially if we have multiple issues that are dysregulating a system. We have to address each one of those in order to make sure that system's running optimally. Then the body can do what it's supposed to do. Absolutely. And the other thing that's a problem in our society, besides expecting a quick fix, is um, the kind of work-life lack of balance that we have, that we think, okay, in order to have a good life, like we were saying before, bringing meaning to others is actually bringing meaning to your own life. But most people in our society think, okay, if I get a good job and become successful or I open up a business and I earn a lot of money, like those are the markers of a successful life. So they're, everybody's like striving for that. Or even if they're not striving to be like top of the top, they're striving to provide for their families and, you know, make enough for a living for themselves, even if they're not um, over the top ambitious. But either way, we get um, very stressed out with these external goals of usually something financial related or career related that throws us into this stressful, um, chronic stress situation, which of course negatively impacts our health and causes inflammation and mental health problems and all of these things. So I actually find a lot in our field as healthcare professionals that it's not easy. It's not easy to go to a pharmacy or med school and then have rotations and have residencies and then have a practice or be part of a practice where you have crazy hours and overnight shifts and all of these things. So how have you found that as you're learning about health and you're learning about some of the more esoteric um, types of subjects as well, and you're becoming a medical doctor after already have become a pharmacist, how was um, that part for you? Like trying to balance your work life, um, learning these concepts from the allopathic system, but also coming to these other more holistic conclusions. Yeah, I've always been more focused on the holistic side because I'm a big physiology junkie. And I think that one thing that medical school doesn't do a good job of is teaching you physiology, basic biochemistry. If you understand that, then you understand why all these holistic things work and how everything is interconnected. And so that's what drove me towards that. I'm a workaholic. I've always been a workaholic. I'm not naturally talented at all. I'm the kid that whenever I do something, I suck at it really, really bad. <laughs> but I always said my superpower is I never give up. Mm. And I, I know I'm going to get better. And so I have to work hard. I have to work harder than other people around me. I'm blessed because I can understand how things work. I can figure things out. I have that type of insight, but I'm not really talented. Mm. And so I took that into starting my business and everything. I used to work seven days a week, 15 hours a day. And I realized that that's not how I want to live my life because it was cutting out relationships and things like that, that I also care about. And so I began to really prioritize a lot of times we don't sit there and we say, what is the important things to do? 
And one of the things I've learned about time management is if something is important, put it on your calendar, right? Make sure it gets done. The stuff that's not that important, don't put it on your calendar and get to it when you get to it. Most of the time we think everything is super important, but everything can't be that important. There, everything can't have a priority of one. Mm-hmm. And so we have to realize what are our priorities, put those priorities on the calendar, make sure they get done. And then when you have spare time, fill in all the other stuff that's not that important. And I usually tell people the way you figure this out is the rule of threes. doesn't matter in three minutes, you know, three days, three hours, three months, three years. Wow. If it matters in you know, three minutes or three hours, that's really important. That's something that you should make sure it gets done. If it's three weeks or three months, that's something that you don't really have to schedule. You just get to it when you get to it. I think that was one of the hardest things that I had to learn is that it's okay to push things off your calendar and it's okay not to get everything done in a single 24 hour period. And the world's not going to fall apart when you do that. Actually, you end up getting more productive because you feel that mental freedom and energy from not being overburdened with too many tasks. I think that was the biggest thing that I've learned recently and had allowed me to have balance and I have very distinct boundaries. I start working at 10 a.m. I stop working at seven. And there are no exceptions to that. And I have my me time in the morning for right now is that's learning Spanish. That's reading a clinical study. And then after seven, I'll spend time with my wife or my dog or play video games or whatever. You know, that's my wind down time. But that's what I've had to do is place very firm boundaries on my time. And I've been doing that for the last six months. Again, I haven't missed a deadline. There hasn't been a catastrophic failure in in my life. Nothing caught on fire. The world (laughs) didn't end, right? All of these bad things that we ramp up in our head. What if, what if, what if? None of that has happened since I put this in. So I think that's something that we have to learn as, as busy professionals is setting those boundaries is prior, really prioritizing and executing on the things that are important and realizing that our recharge time is just as important as our work time and putting emphasis on our recharge time as well to increase our productivity and joy. This is something you mentioned earlier. A lot of us chase happiness. And if you chase happiness, you're in the realm of dopamine. Dopamine is our get more neurotransmitter. Dopamine doesn't care about making you happy. It cares about accumulating things. That's why you can get a promotion and then not be happy because you want the next step and the next step. What we have to do is realize that happiness is an emotion and emotions can be fleeting. Emotions, the thing about emotion is it never lasts. Mm-hmm. You can be in love, the love of your life. A year later, you don't even remember that person, right? <laughs> but joy is a choice. Every day you can choose to be joyful because I can choose how I interact with my environment, my mental status, how I think about things. And so I think we put too much emphasis on being happy, which is a fleeting emotion and not enough emphasis on how do I be joyful? And once I was able to do that, be joyful, that's when all of these things really started to, to come together. And I was able to find that balance in my life. Yeah, I love that. Happiness, I also sometimes say is not a destination, it's a journey. So it's like, 
also you're not expecting that you're all, every single minute of the day you're going to be happy. It's just overall you're going to be doing um, things that make you happy or joyful. You're going to be making decisions and you can literally not even make it every day. You can make it every moment is a decision. Okay, am I going to be joyful or, and grateful in this moment or am I going to be upset? And we do need a balance also. Sometimes it's therapeutic to be upset and let out the negative emotion, especially when um, you recognize that there is a negative emotion and then you suppress it and don't release it. That's when it can become a problem. So it we are meant to have a range of emotions. We are meant to um, learn and fail once in a while before we succeed. And this gives us perspective and it makes the success more sweet. And I love how you also said about the perseverance and not giving up. Um, that is so important in business, but also just in life, you know, just, you know, if, if you're not happy, it's not the end. <laughs> That's another saying. So just recognizing that there's always an opportunity to get it right the next time or, you know, to reach your goal um, the next day. And it's not, it doesn't end here. And, you know, life is not over here. Um, teen, when you're a teenager, it does feel like every decision may, it could potentially lead to a crisis or uh, your life can become over. But when you're an adult, usually you can um, discern that, hey, you know, this is just what it is today and tomorrow is a new day and I can make different choices because I've learned from these. So it's a mindset. Yep. Like they say, you've survived 100% of your worst days. If you're here <laughs> and you're listening to this, you've survived 100% of your worst days. And it is all about mindset and how you look at things and having that gratitude practice, being aware of the moment, present in the moment, that increases your happiness. Again, because it's a different set of, of neurochemicals, of brain chemicals. When we're thinking about the future or we're thinking about things that we want or things that we need, that's dopamine driven. And again, dopamine doesn't care about our happiness. But when we think about the, all the things that we're grateful for, the people we love, our relationships, that's serotonin and that's endorphins and that's endocannabinoids. These are the things that help us feel present and happy and joyful in that moment. And so that's one of the things that you know we had to learn, I had to learn because going through two doctorates and an MBA program, I've always future, 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 future. And I had to stop and say, okay, I can still think about the future, but I need to balance that with being present in the here and now and being grateful for where I am, all the opportunities I've had, because I've had a very blessed life. I've been able to do some amazing things, meet some amazing people and help people be healthier. That's been a huge blessing for me. Yeah, that's amazing. And I love how you also said about your morning routine, having that time, creating that space for yourself, because when you are um, doing that self-care, that, that is a form of self-care, finding like your happy place and choosing activities that are just for you and that are meant to bring you the joy that you're seeking. They're also going to be elevating your energy and your mood. So you can think of them as like energy producing activities versus energy draining. So you want to definitely put in some energy producing activities, whether that's, you know, reading a clinical study, like you said, or um, going outside, taking a walk, doing some yoga or whatever that is for you. You need to make sure you're 
practicing that and preferably on a daily basis, if you can schedule in even 15 minutes of those joyful, something that you're sure is pleasant to you and that gives you joy, you want to make sure to add that in to your calendar as a priority and then your, um, your other priorities, as you said, as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it doesn't take much time for these things that we've talked about. One of the things I started doing, because I still work in a traditional clinic about two days a week, it kind of varies depending on how busy I'm with my consulting schedule. But I did that because number one, it helps with my consulting company saying I'm still a practicing physician for an organization that people have heard of. Number two, that's the watering hole. That's where most people are going to go. That's where I can make the most impact. Mm-hmm. and giving people holistic resources there. But one of the things I started doing when I was there was after I eat, I just walk around the building like five or six times and people look at me like I'm crazy. But I'm like, you guys are crazy. You sit in these fluorescent lights all day. <laughs> then you hurry home and then sit under fluorescent lights all day. You get no sun exposure. You get no fresh air. It's like, this is a way for me to get what's normally in my schedule, which is walk my dog a couple times a day. When I'm at the clinic, I just replace walking the dog with taking a walk around the block. So I just adapted my routine to a different setting. I didn't change my routine based upon the setting. I just adapted it to continue doing the things I need to do to make me happy. And it makes me happy being out there, getting some fresh air, getting some sun on my face and not thinking about future patients or what I did that morning. I'm just being present in the moment as I stroll around the block. Yeah, that's awesome. I also used to choose taking my lunch outside whenever possible, whether in school or in my rotations or anywhere they would allow me to. I would definitely take my lunch break outside because that's being with nature is another good way to um, kind of slow down and get the benefits, which also have been proven from certain phytochemicals, volatile oils and certain plants, but also just um, they're producing oxygen and, you know, we're releasing carbon dioxide and all of that. Um, It is probably also doing something with our electromagnetic fields where they're grounding. Mm -hmm. And so that's a great idea to just whenever possible connect with nature as well. Or if you don't have access, I always recommend getting like a house plant or something like that. And just getting some green and a living being and into your space is wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, That's something I've been working on. I have a black thumb, so (laughs) I'm not very good at taking care of plants. So I usually stick to things like bamboo and cactus, which are very, very hard to kill. Yes. Yes. That's, that's good. Um, you graduate. It's also a learning experience for sure, because every plant is different and needs something a little different in the soil or with the water content or with the sun exposure. So I, um, and even though I'm an herbalist, I'm still learning myself. So don't feel too bad. <laughs> Thank um, you. So I want to know about your current practice. Uh, what is it that you do right now at, as part of your lifestyle medicine services? And also, um, why did you get an MBA and how did that help you? Yeah, so the lifestyle medicine, I'm kind of transitioning that. I have my own company, Great Health and Wellness, and then I'm launching a new company, Nimbus, that's all about personalized care. And I'm folding all of that into Nimbus. Mm. So 
the the course right now starts with mindset. It's two weeks on mindset before we even talk about nutrition or exercise or anything else. We're getting in the mindset because as the mind goes, the body goes. Mm-hmm. And as the body goes, the mind goes. But you need to start with that health mindset first. There are some key concepts you have to understand in order to enact a healthy plan. And I really got away from doing functional medicine and the lifestyle medicine because I realized no matter what the test results are, the most important thing is the lifestyle, is how you interact with your environment. It's always the first step, no matter what no matter what genetic issue or hormone issue or insulin resistance, it doesn't matter what it is. Lifestyle is always the most important part. Mm-hmm. And I'm always a, I'm an efficiency guy. I try to maximize. So if, if I found that this is the most important thing, I'm going to focus mainly on that. Now I also do some functional medicine testing like nutrigenomics, um, metabolism testing and food allergy and gut testing. And then I got the MBA originally because I thought I wanted to do hospital administration, realized that that was a den of snakes and I wanted no part of that. And now I use my MBA in my consulting business. So I do business development for multiple different clients in the health and wellness space. So these are all companies who are have innovative products who are trying to make pharmacist lives better or physician lives better or patient lives better. And I help them kind of navigate healthcare or create protocols or I create content for them. And that's been really fun and really rewarding working outside the system because there are more people trying to make difference outside the system than there are inside the system. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it's kind of like a perpetual cycle and very hard to change the wheels on the existing system. Um, So how did you supplement your, whatever you learned in pharmacy school and med school to doing what it is that you do today? Yeah. I wanted to incorporate more lifestyle medicine after my first job out of residency. And I started looking at options and I looked at you know, IFM and some of these other places. And I looked at the price of the coursing and I was like, this is ridiculous. I don't need someone else to tell me how to read these studies. I'm just going to go find the studies myself. And I spent a year reading every single clinical study I could about physiology, about lab testing, about all of the lifestyle stuff. Wow. And I think now my folder database is almost 700 clinical studies. Wow. And that's what it was. I self-taught. Because I had been through two doctorate programs, I said to myself, I know how to evaluate evidence (laughs) and I know where the evidence is. So why not just go find it? And then I said, I I never want to stop learning. So I'm constantly reading new studies, incorporating new material, learning and growing. And that's how I did it. Now that route may not be right for you. Not everyone is a self-paced learner. Yeah. If you need to, if you want to take courses, there's tons of them out there now about teaching people about lifestyle medicine. And that could be at the lay person or even at the provider level, the information is there. And there are multiple different ways that you can ingest that information and start applying it for yourself or for your patients or clients. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, it's been a real pleasure having you come on here and share your wisdom. I'm going to definitely share all your links in the show notes for people that are interested in getting to know you more. Now, if you just have one more minute left, um, I would love to do a rapid fire round of questions. Okay. 
All right. So number one is what is your number one advice for people to improve their quality of life right now? Meditate. It's the cheapest, easiest, most effective way to improve your overall health. Awesome. Um, number two, what's your favorite hobby or pastime? Playing video games. <laughs> cool. Um, number two, a uh, three, what's your favorite beverage and food to consume? Beverage, water. I'm like attached at the hip to my water <laughs> bottle. And then food, peanut butter. Peanut butter. That's a good one. Um, now, I normally don't really ask everybody this, but since we touched on a couple of things in the realm of healthcare and providers and all the challenges there, what do you think would be a simple solution to the burden that we put ourselves as we go through the education system as providers and healthcare practitioners? And then as we start practicing, how can we potentially improve the system from the inside? we need to elevate people to practice at the top of their licenses. You need pharmacists acting as providers, herbalists acting as providers, acupuncturists acting as providers, chiropractors acting as providers, because mostly they're working in a different system than we are, but their skill set and their knowledge is complementary. So if we brought everybody into the same ecosystem, it would unload the balance or offset the balance to where we're seeing too many people in the office. If I go and work in my conventional job, I'm seeing 25 people a day. That's too many. Yeah. That's way too many. So what if there was someone else who was better served for why that person's coming in? They're coming in with musculoskeletal complaints. They shouldn't see me first. I'm not the musculoskeletal expert. The chiropractor is. All right. They're coming in asking about nutrition. Okay. They need to see a nutritionist. So people look at doctors as the entry portal because that's what they know, but maybe there's another provider that's a better entry person for them and what they want to get help with. I love that. That's such a good answer. And what do you specialize in particularly? Do you have an area of expertise or a niche? I would say it's mindset. I've spent a lot of time reading and learning about mindset and how we can unlock the potential in our heads because that's where it all starts. If you say can't, you never will. If you say can, you'll figure out a way to make it work. We say can't too much. We don't say can enough. Okay. I love that. That could be another mantra. <laughs> Absolutely. Add that to the list. Um, okay. Well, Dr. Harris, it's been an absolute pleasure. Once again, I'll have all the information about you in the show notes so that people can get in touch and learn more about your work. Um, do you want to say um, your website or anywhere that you can find you on social media? Yeah, you can find me on social at drharrismd. I'm everywhere. My podcast is the Strive for Great Health podcast. And right now you can find me at thegh.wellness.com. Soon I'll exclusively be at nimbusmenscare.com. Awesome. Well, it was um, really fun getting to know you and I hope we stay in touch and I'll check out your podcast for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. 
I truly hope you enjoyed the show and learned something new from it. I certainly get super inspired by the guests I have on. If the same is true for you, I'd really appreciate a five-star review on any of the podcast platforms and a shout out on social media. You can find me at my name, Dr. Marina Booksov, or at the tag at Raw Fork. So I look forward to connecting and I hope you have a great week ahead.